0: This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Jamel Sanchez, and I'm from the Pueblo of San Felipe. We want to remind you that this program broadcasts from the rightful lands of the Tiwa people. Tonight, on this special episode of Generation Justice, we focus on historical trauma, We bring you an interview with Jennifer Nunez, a member of the Pueblo of Acoma, who serves as a training and technical assistance coordinator with the SAMHSA Tribal Training and Technical Assistance Center through Tribal Tech, LLC. This special interview will help us understand historical and generational trauma and how it affects our lives. Now we bring you the song, R.E.D. by The Hallucination, formerly known as A Tribe Called Red, Featuring Yasin Be, Narcy, and Black Bear. Law. Hey. hey. Chewing, living by the code. Hey. What the fuck oh, is Fleek though? Don't ask them. What do we know? What I forgot is better than whatever they remember. What is historical trauma? Jennifer Nunez is a member of the Pueblo of Acoma and currently serves as a training and technical assistance coordinator with the SAMHSA Tribal Training and Technical Assistance Center through Tribal Tech LLC. Ms. Nunez has been in the social work and educational fields for over 25 years, with an emphasis on serving the American Indian population, promoting effective community engagement, and providing clinical behavioral health support. Now, 16-year-old Zan Dixon speaks with Jennifer Nunez on historical trauma.
1: This is Zan Dixon with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Jennifer Nunez, a member of the Pueblo of Acoma, who currently serves as a training and technical assistance coordinator with the SAMHSA Tribal Training and Technical Assistance Center. Welcome back to Generation Justice.
2: Thank you, Zan. I appreciate it. Glad to be here.
1: Please tell us more about yourself.
2: So first off, uh, my name is Jennifer Náñez, I come from the Pueblo of Acoma, which is in a, uh, about an hour drive from here in Albuquerque West. Um, it's one of 19 Pueblos here in New Mexico, one of 20 overall that we consider as Pueblo communities um, across the Southwest here. Um, I'm. Um a mom, I'm a um, auntie, <laughs> and um, again, a sibling, a daughter, a granddaughter, um, and I'm also biracial. I, my father is from the state of Mississippi. He's been out here uh, married to my mom. They met while he was in the military at the Air Force um, and raised us all on the Akma reservation along with my mother my mother is a linguist and a bilingual educator uh, who works at the university of new mexico and um, brought us all up in again our community hoping that we would of course learn our traditions over the course of time and really instilled in us a lot of um, value in education and this is where when our discussions today talking about the topic that we're going to talk about today, historical trauma, where some of that personal experience and growth really has brought me. So I'm super excited to meet you, Zane, and to be a part of the conversation today.
1: So uh, starting off, you know, right off the bat, I'd like to hear more about um, historical trauma and all the you know related work you do.
2: Sure. So this um, topic of historical trauma or concept of historical trauma has been one um, for me that's been really near and dear to my heart and really central to a lot of the work I do. Um, so just to step back really quickly, I'm a social worker. I've been in the field for about 25 years now and doing uh, quite a bit of work with My own community and other tribal communities in uh, mental health, um, substance abuse treatment, and more specifically in suicide prevention and intervention crisis response. And as I was going through my early education, um, there was always something that kind of nagged at me like there's these things I know some of our history and what our communities have gone through. I'm also seeing all of these issues that our community is facing, you know, high rates of substance use, high rates of mental health issues within our community. And as I began to get more deeper into the work in social work, understanding that we were having issues of like suicide within our youth population and adult population, in my program, in my master's program, finally coming across this concept of historical trauma and the creator of Dr. Maria Yellow Horse Braveheart, um, Dr. Josie Chase, and in very early iterations of the, the theory and the concept of um, Dr. LaMaira DeBrun, um, their written work on this concept really struck home for me going, okay, I can see and understand where this concept um, helps us to think about some of these issues. So what historical trauma is or says is essentially in a nutshell that our communities, especially American Indian communities and even communities of color, have been through this history of trauma that's been perpetrated upon us. And so take, for instance, the American Indian population. You know, we've been dealing with over 500 years of colonization and settler colonialism. That's a whole other concept to kind of think about. But what that meant was that this population that came into the North American continent and even into the South American continent really was a population that sought to suppress and supplant and remove the original indigenous populations that were there like our community and in that process of removal and in that process of trying to eradicate us in in a way of speaking that perpetrated trauma and what we see now is with historical trauma when we think about this concept What this concept is saying is that we've had all of these different types of trauma that have happened across generations, across centuries, but it's impacted people, our families. Right. And over the course of time, that trauma gets passed down to the next generation, the next generation and the next generation. And so it's. been defined in this manner that um it, it, the formal definition really of historical trauma as they um, we phrase it is the cumulative emotional and psychological wounding over the lifespan and across generations emanating from this massive group trauma and really when we think about our populations that's what we've been through you know we've been through removal we've been through you know, disease eradicating our populations. We've been through war. We've been through um, discrimination and racism. All of those things have an on how we um, are raised or how we are um, impacted in our feelings, in our emotions and in our actions, what surrounds us. And so it's a big concept, but in reality, it's just helping us to understand this history and what it means for us today.
1: Yeah, uh, hearing such like an intense, deep definition almost of what historical trauma is, and kind of like describing how it impacts us on like a at least at, at least at a base level from what you're able to tell us at this point. But I'm um, just kind of hearing about how it impacts us in our everyday life and how we don't ourselves factor it in or like how the system doesn't factor it in um, on how we treat ourselves and how we're treated and stuff like that. It's really like intense. It's kind of, (laughs) it's unfortunate really, but um, I feel like it's really good information to also know. Uh, I myself have dealt with, um, or I've done a lot of research on stuff like generational trauma. And I was wondering what you would say like, the difference between generational trauma and historical trauma
2: They're really, when we think about the concept, that's a great question. They're really kind of part and parcel with each other because what, a lot of times what we see is sometimes trauma can beget trauma, meaning like when we've been a- impacted by trauma, sometimes we react with trauma. And so when we see generations that have been impacted by trauma, We have those folks within those generations that sometimes in in their upbringing and in their then passing that along can pass on that trauma within the generation to the next generation. And therefore, then we have learned behaviors, you know, we've picked up some of these learned behaviors that aren't always positive. And sometimes it's come from coping, right? Substance abuse, a a lot of times is a means of coping, coping with this, you know, awful feeling of either being, you know, subjugated or feeling oppressed or feeling angry or, you know, being discriminated against or being traumatized right abused, you know, physically, emotionally, sexually, all of these things can come up and create trauma, and then we have this response to trauma that comes out historical trauma is much the same, but what historical trauma does is look at it a little bit more broadly and say what happens to us as a population, so Intergenerational trauma kind of looks at it from that familial perspective, kind of individual perspective and familial perspective. Historical trauma broadens that lens and says, well, let's talk about what's happened to whole populations. So for us as an American Indian population, we really think about it in terms of our overall history. But we can look at it also with the African-American population. What happened during that time of enslavement and bondage, and how did that get passed on into generations? For other populations of color, what was their history, um, and how were they treated over the course of time as a population? And we can see what that impact can be. Um, What's really interesting though about this concept of historical trauma um, and Dr. Uh, Maria Yellow Horse Braveheart who really is like the author and mother of historical trauma in relation to American Indian communities is she's very quick to remind us that we have to keep in mind that history doesn't mean Just everything that happened a long time ago, especially when we talk about it in American Indian um, communities or really any population of color history is the things that are happening to us in the present time anything up to a minute ago is how she loves to phrase it. And it's true because we see continuing traumas happening within our communities. And in this time and space that we're in, in the United States, we're seeing that happen. You know, we're seeing um, issues and in, in actions like what happened to George Floyd, what happened in, you know, again, populations of color, what we see happening at the border. You know, all of those things are traumatic but they're also based in policies and procedures and actions and this broader learning that people are picking up that may be biased. And so when we think about this concept of historical trauma, a lot of times we think it means what happened a long time ago, but it's very applicable to what we're seeing now because it's thinking about what's happening to us as populations. And I'm hoping that makes sense because it it really helps us to encapsulate and kind of think about how do we think about this long-term? How do we address this issue long-term? And what are the roots of this issue from long time ago as well?
1: That is really interesting. I think uh, some of the stuff that kind of stuck out to me, I guess, is like about how, I mean, history is kind of just always going on, right? Even, even this conversation, right? It's history, right? Cause it's just kind of like, it's the past. And um, I think looking at it from that like perspective, it kind of makes you realize how close, just like different situations and different things, how close they are to right? It's not like stuff is that many gen- generations back, you know? And I think that's some, um, it's really like kind of hard hitting,
2: Exactly, exactly. And, and it really helps us to think about what's happening in the present because everything that's happening in the present, you know, becomes history. You know, yesterday was history. You know, events that have happened in just the past week are history. But those things we know in this very recent history are just as impactful as things that have happened to us 500 years ago. And this is what um, Dr. Braveheart has sometimes uh, referred to as HT bandwagon, where folks have said, well, you know, when we talk about historical trauma, we're talking about things that happened a long time ago, and by now, quote, unquote, you should just get over it, right? Our population should just get over it and move forward. But what we posit with this theory and what we're arguing with this theory is that that this is part and parcel though of what sets up these frameworks that we're still dealing with of racism discrimination discriminatory policies just you know inequitable resources and great you know examples of that are happening right now you know education systems for populations of color you know, aren't always up to par. You know, we're not getting the most amount of resources that we need to succeed. Same for health care, and here we're in the middle of the COVID pandemic. You know, the American Indian population rate right now for COVID, if you look at it equitably, and what we mean by that is taking a look at, you know, how many, how many of our population is impacted in comparison to other populations, including, you know, the what they call the non-Hispanic white population, you know, just the everyday general population in New Mexico. You know, our rates are through the roof, but it's because we don't have health care systems. We don't have access. We haven't had money put into these systems, and that's on purpose. It's part of this ongoing system of inequity that has been part of historical trauma, right? So historical trauma is kind of the model and the framework that we look at it in. Structures then become issues like policy and funding and how we have access to resources. And then the everyday impact is what we're dealing with and how we cope with that, you know, how are we, operating within that what do we do and that's what's so neat about this model is it really helps us to kind of think about this and move down into this very narrow understanding of this is why this is happening today right
1: yeah i feel like the intersectionality between uh you know historical trauma and like systemic um, injustice and social injustice is really like it's really Prominent, really there. And I think getting more at the social aspect of historical trauma and kind of like how it impacts our habits and stuff, but like how does historical trauma affect stereotypes? Almost?
2: That's a great question, and actually a great point in, in your question. What's interesting about this idea of historical trauma and when we think about issues of stereotypes is what happens is. People on the other side of this, you know, the perpetrators or the settlers, you know, those folks who have kind of been in that dominant culture, they often see us in this framework of what's wrong with you, right? Like you, we see all the negative data, (laughs) all the what they call deficit data like high rates of disease burden high rates of mental health issues high rates of substance use all of these you know things that must be wrong and it's our fault that it's wrong in reality when we think about it from this historical trauma lens it helps us to think about this is what's happened to us right and our story is we're trying to explain that all of these things that have happened over the course of time has put us in this space without our permission and without our um, our action, meaning like we didn't ask to be put here, that has led us to be in these spaces of where we have to deal with inequity, where we're having to cope with issues, where we have been traumatized, and sometimes we're passing that trauma on. So this is where, again, we're having to really kind of flip that script and say, no, it's not about what's wrong with us, because there's nothing wrong with us. It's about what's happened to us. And now how do we take a look at how do we heal from that because we have the answers and our youth in particular really also are leading some of those efforts because they're ready to say, I'm done with this. (laughs) We're going to demand justice, you know, I will need this, I want this, I'm going to be active about it, be vocal about it and that's what's so amazing is that. When we think about these frameworks, it also helps us. One of the pieces of the model is having to learn how to heal from historical trauma. And just to bear with me really quickly, Dr. Braveheart lays out this framework, and it says, first, we have to confront the trauma. You know, we're learning what happened. What was this history? What are the frameworks that were supported by this history that we see today? How do we then understand this trauma? How do we start taking it apart and going, oh, okay, here's the policy, or here's the frameworks, or here's the, you know, environmental structures that support this? We begin to understand it. Then we can start moving into releasing that, and that means becoming resilient. What can we do within our power to help heal ourselves? You know, what do we do to build ourselves up? Be it, maybe it's just our family. You know, maybe it's just myself. We might have to start that small in doing our own work, right? And then maybe expands to family. Maybe then it expands to communities. Maybe it starts with youth. Maybe it starts with elders. And then we get into the space where we really have done that work and move into transcending the trauma. And so this framework really helps us to set that stage for resilience and healing. Once we understand that it's not what's wrong with this, it's about what happened to us. Does that make sense?
1: Uh, yeah, I think it is important to kind of like look towards the good in yourself or the good of- like what's going on or like what you can do and your own healing and to try to heal yourself. And I feel like a lot for like the youth as well, I feel like that's just kind of a easier said than done. So um just backing off of that. How do we support our youth into doing things like
2: that? I'll speak kind of from at least the perspective of the work we do in our population, um, because that's, you know, the population I know. Um, for our youth in particular especially american indian youth one of the big things we know is that connection to culture is really the most protective thing and trying to ensure that we help raise our young people with knowledge of you know where they come from you know as like for us for instance you know really centering ourselves as akama people you know from my community or as Pueblo people or indigenous people? What does that mean? You know, What are the values? What are the cultural customs that we have that are supportive? Um, how do we connect with that? And for youth in particular, making sure that we connect them to that is incredibly supportive and And just to kind of come back into this framework of of academia in a way, research shows it, that if we have young people who are connected to their culture and traditions, they're more likely to do well. And so that's a huge piece for us and even for adults too. You know, I'm gonna, I'll be very frank, you know, I grew up, as I mentioned, biracial, and As being, you know, coming from the oldest member of our family um, in in really kind of the oldest, you know, uh, grandchild from my my grandparents, Um, we weren't always raised traditionally. And it's only now as adults that we're starting to return to that. And even in that aspect, it's healing because, not being raised in that wasn't because it was a choice, but it came from some of that history in that worry about, well, if we don't raise our, if we raise our children traditionally, they're not gonna do well in dominant culture. But that was the message from the dominant culture, right? So it it's returning to that culture and tradition, returning to understanding where we come from, is incredibly helpful. Um, and for youth in particular, it gives them a base. You know, it really gives them a base to center themselves and their identity and begin to really understand where they come from. What does that look like? And so, again, like Zen in your introduction, you've got just such an immense, enormous history from your parents to bring forward. You know, how do you center yourself or explore that identity from your mother's side, from your father's side? What does that look like? And being within Generation Justice, you know, your involvement already speaks to the fact that you understand that there is a need for uh, justice, social justice, racial justice, and, and equitable, access for all of us for resources, right? And having that base and understanding that's kind of rooted even back in identities that go back beyond us, that culture and tradition and values that they bring along with that to you and what you take from that moving forward. That's what's so awesome about this is that we have the ability to be resilient. You know, we have the ability to heal from this history and like you've explored with intergenerational trauma at some point we can actually stop intergenerational trauma from happening right and we can even stop historical trauma from continuing if we start looking at how do we heal and how do we be resilient
1: yeah oh wow that's like such a um fascinating thing to like think about about how we, we we kind of hold the power to stop this I think that's just like kind sort of like a like a crazy thing to think about, right?
2: Yeah, you know, it, it's like mind blowing because it's like, wow, we really do have the ability, like, and and it it becomes a responsibility as much as it's um, such an amazing thing to explore, right? Like, what can we do with this? Because um, really, you know, the creativity that youth bring. Like, wow, oh, man, you you know, you guys can do so much social media, you know, ways of doing things. Like, everything you see in terms of message delivery that, that youth are putting out there, like, can't you, I can't wait to see it again, like, in, you know, a couple of years, what does that look like? Because you guys have the ability to really harness that, you know, us old folks. <laughs> are are just still trying to get through sometimes the everyday stuff but the ability to really change system we have and it's about being vocal Mm -hmm.
1: yeah um i feel like yeah the society is just like a
2: never-ending
1: kind of growing thing that's just always advancing and i feel like something like historical trauma in a systemic way of how it's kind of being kept alive is like halting that it really is, and it's halting um, the growth and development of, you know, a lot of these cultures and communities, especially like the um, color, you know, and I think that's such a terrible, word. it's like, it's like not a fun thing to think about. But it's just kind of like a reality that we have to face. And I think um, part of that is also like how it affects the mental health of the youth too.
0: Welcome back to Generation Justice and our special edition on historical trauma with Jennifer Nunez, a member of the Pueblo of Acoma. Ms. Nanez has been in the social work and educational fields for over 25 years with an emphasis on serving the American Indian population, promoting effective community engagement, and providing clinical behavioral health support. Now back to our interviewer, 16-year-old Zan Dixon. How does
1: historical trauma like really influence the mental health and how it impacts that?
2: It does. And again, you know, coming back to some of the work we do, um, especially in the, the, the field I've been in for so long, we do see that impact. You know, we see that, that trauma can get passed on. Um, a very good example of that is actually coming more to light here in the public conscious You know, American Indians, I think, have always understood some of the history, but the boarding school era, and if you're not familiar with that, what happened in the late 1800s was there was a policy that got passed that says, you know, we want to educate the American Indian population. But really, the intent of the education was to eradicate the American Indian identity, right? It wanted to make us, you know, like the dominant culture. And because they weren't having, you know, success with working with, you know, war <laughs> against our populations, this is where they switched tactics and moved to the children. Well, that history of removing children from their homes and being raised in institutional systems, you know, creates this gap um, in parenting you know, and knowledge and familial connection. Um, And we saw that happen because it became an intergenerational thing. We saw multiple generations, you know, children who became parents, who had children who then sent those children off to boarding school, who then had, you know, were raised, grew up had their own children, maybe sent their children off to boarding school. We had these gaps in our communities, in being raised at home, being raised in our culture. Um, and I'm an example of that. You know, I mentioned, you know, my history very briefly, but on my mother's side, my mother um, went to boarding school. I went to boarding school. My grandparents went to boarding school. And our great grandfather, who's kind of the patriarch of the, the family, was the first to go away at the age of six. And he was taken, you know, he was taken and removed from our community and didn't come back until he was 18 and had to relearn the language, relearn the customs. Then he became a parent, right? And the values that he picked up in boarding school, then get passed on to his children to say, okay, we need to raise these children in a dominant culture manner. And while the benefit was we had a high value on education, the drawback was that it was at the expense of our own culture, right? So by the time my mother came along, she and her um, cousin, her first cousin, were the last two in our family who were fluent um, Kara speakers. And here we are now, you know, the next generation having to relearn all of that. And that came from this history, this policy, one policy that, you know, came up in the 1880s. And so you see what happens is this disconnect then Also, then disconnects us from how we parent at times, how we are parented at times, and can impact our mental health. We have coping mechanisms that come up, you know, substance use to cope with that. And that's when we saw that introduced truly within our communities, is that big time frame really shifted for a lot of tribes, you know, nationally. And internationally, because Canada adopted our model, um, Australia adopted the model with the Aboriginal population, got picked up in even the Sámi culture, where it picked up the same model of removal of children. And you see then that impact happening today, where we've had those disconnects on how we are centered in our tradition, how we now don't have, you know, parents fully present, how we as children had to cope with that, and how our parents had to cope with that, right? Um, how our parents had to cope without having their children in their home. Like, how do you do that? (laughs) But that was something that happened. And you see that impact, you know, mental health issues, depression, anxiety, substance abuse, you know, coping mechanisms that aren't very positive you know, come up because of that, because it's traumatic. I know that's a long answer.
1: <laughs> I mean, I feel like there's like a lot of information you're giving out. The way like, specifically I would say like the white man decides to kind of destroy our culture or destroy culture in general and get rid of it. It's like, it's almost demonic in a way. I feel like it's like, they'll take away the youth. They take away the, um, the language. Right. And they kind of take it for their own when they need to. And and then they visualize or they like um, represent, you know, these communities of color and these cultures as something evil or something like terrible.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it's a really interesting thought process because about why they do that or why this happens, why we see this happening. And really what it boils down to is power, you know. It's wanting to have power over um, versus power with. And that's what's so mind-blowing at times, like, to think about if we only switched into this framework of power together, everything that we could harness with our ability to collaborate you know, what we have each to bring to the table. Man, where could we be as a society, you know, as a whole? But it's this idea consistently with the dominant cultures uh, about power over that leads to what we see. You know, there has to be somebody who's consistently subjugated (laughs) for us to have, you know, for them to have power over. And, you know, sometimes it's the population of the du jour. (laughs) And and what I mean by that is like, who are they gonna target next? Right? What's next on the agenda? So we see that right now happening with the immigrant populations, that that becomes this area of focus. Um, Or then groups like um, how they've tried to reframe um, anti-fascism as being you know bad when in reality no it's not (laughs) and it's because it's trying to to shift that perception so they can create this bad guy that they have to exert power over um and that's what just always is what's so mind blowing is where does that thought come from? I don't know. That that's hard. Um, but it it's rooted in power.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it also has something to do with like the greed, the greediness too, like wanting more and more and more, even when there's almost nothing to even get out of it at, at a certain point either. It's just you still want more power.
2: But exactly. Um, and to that point when we think about this issue of historical trauma really you know it boils down to they wanted the land they wanted us off the land the indigenous populations they wanted to remove so they could take over all the resources that we had access to and you're you're spot on it's also based in greed Mm -hmm.
1: Well, going back to a more um, optimistic thing about how we can (laughs) overcome this type of historical trauma, what are like resources that are available for us and available for the community to help overcome this overbearing trauma?
2: Well, honestly, you guys are one of the premier ones, especially for youth generation justice and the work that you all are doing in making sure our young people and adults who are listening understand this idea of social justice racial justice and equity you know that's truly where we need to be working is getting these messages out there And for our communities, coming back to that discussion we had about healing, you know, how do we now center our healing back in who we are? You know, who are we as Indigenous people? What does that mean to us? Or who are we as people of color? You know, what does that mean to us? What are the cultures and values and traditions that we come from? And how can that be supportive of us? You know, that's where we can start. But definitely keeping in mind this piece about being vocal, about issues of equity and issues of justice really is where we can lead this conversation and you know everything nationally over time. And this is why I get so excited, you know, for our youth population, because we have so many, I think, old folks, and, and no offense to folks my age. <laughs> and older i'm old um you know some of us get really stuck and rooted in old ideas right in old frameworks and they can't change right or they're comfortable in them because it again gives them positions of power but young people see that young people are calling it out you know young people are you know calling it on the carpet and saying no this isn't right and so Programs like this in Generation Justice and all the work that you do in raising the awareness, not only of our young people, but hopefully for our adults too. You're the generation that's going to come up and, and really be able to tackle this because you've been rooted in it for so long. Whereas for some of our older folks, they're just now learning about it, understanding it, right? But you guys have been raised in it and are growing in it. That's what's so awesome because when I think about what's the hope, kind of for the future, is it's it's our young people. You know, young people like yourself, um, not so young people, hey, like Rachel, just kidding. <laughs> oh, that are are here and and really get this, and now can say, well, what can I change in the structures? Right? What can we change environmentally? What can we change socially? Because you all have been rooted and growing in it. Whereas we're the ones that are finally kind of getting it now and understanding it in our later adulthood.
1: You know, look, there's a lot of uh, pressure on my generation. You know? <laughs> but I'm sure at some point we'll figure it out and we'll definitely work towards it. Is there anything else you'd like to add?
2: Sure. Um, I guess to to just come back to your your statement that that pressure on your generation. I I would hope that you would know too that you've got support. Right. That for those of us who are doing the work and and understand it and have done our our own work in moving towards healing, we're gonna be right here beside you. Right and support your efforts, and you see it happening politically, you know, although we don't always win <laughs> right now, you know, we, we, um, we're hoping to push it at this level, um, knowing that we want to help set that stage for you to have less pressure when you come up and as a young person um, moving into adulthood and tackling these issues that we're hoping that we can better lay the stage. But we're we're gonna be right here with you. And I guess that's my my primary message is that find those adults who are with you, you know, and rely on them, call on them, talk to them as much as you can because we when we understand that there's that interest, we definitely wanna make sure that we're supporting you through everything.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you for the support and thank you to all the other elders out there who are also there to support us and um, my generation and the youth to really get through this. Um, do like what we have to do in getting towards a place where we can say that we are evolving and we are adapting. And we're getting better and better as a society, as a too.
2: Definitely. And- you know, coming back to that historical trauma model, you know, in truth, we can get to that point and we're almost there where we're transcending the trauma, you know, like in her model that she talks about. Like we're working right now through releasing that pain and we're going to get into that space of transcendence. You know, what an awesome thing. Wow, what is that whole? <laughs> you know, what does that look like for us? we get to we get to define it you guys get to define what that looks like for the coming generations too
1: well thank you jennifer nanias for coming here and sharing all of your in-depth knowledge and all of your like vast um, research and everything you've done and you know to come here and speak as well uh so thank you
2: thanks and it was a pleasure and thank you so much for the opportunity and just really quickly again, I you know all respect goes out to Dr. Braveheart, um, you know, um, Dr. Chase, who created the model. I think we're just fortunate to live in the world where we are using it to understand everything that's happening, right? So they're just such wonderful, awesome women, um, elders who are still with us. Um, Dr. Maria Yellow Horse Braveheart works at UNM. Um, so she's here in the local community. Um, but yeah, like, wow, you know, to give us such a gift that we get to to work within and understand how we can help, you know, how we can really move our, our populations into healing and transcendence and support the young people in this quest for you know justice and equity because it's coming. It is coming. <laughs> so thanks, Zan. This was fun.
1: <laughs> Thank you again. again. For Generation Justice, I'm Zan Dixon.
0: Thank you, Ms. Nunez, for sharing and explaining historical trauma. I love the example when you said that trauma helps us understand the history and what it means for us today. I agree with that statement, with me being an African and Native American learning about the past and learning what my ancestors went through. Also, thank you for clarifying what the difference is between generational and historical trauma. It really gave me a better understanding. Now we bring you, We Shall Remain, a song created by the Style Horse Collective in an effort to address the effects of historical trauma in tribal communities. We hope you've enjoyed this Hour of Community Action. We'd like to thank our guest, Jennifer Náñez. Tonight's Hour of Radio was produced by Roberta Rael, with production assistance from Barbara Ramirez, and editing support from Angel Baker Guillén. Thank you to our social media team, Rachel Riley and Madumita Santana, and to our great interviewer, Zan Dixon. We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We could not do what we do without you. Generation Justice will also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Google Podcasts we are also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and follow our playlists on Spotify. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by P.O.D. Our last song of the night is Burn Your Village to the Ground by The Hallucination. I'm Jamel Sanchez. Coming up on KUNM is Spoken Word, so stay tuned and join us next Sunday at 7 o'clock. Magho Parawanoya.